Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 13. Today, we're heading behind the scenes of Drury Outdoors, Mark and Terry Drury's mega successful outdoor TV and video production company. And joining us is Matt Drury, the brand manager for Drury Outdoors, to discuss how his dad and uncle have become such accomplished hunters and what it takes to produce some of the world's greatest hunting videos. I think you guys are really going to like this one. So relax and enjoy. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. Here with me, as always, is my nine-finger brother from another mother, Dan Johnson. And with us today also is a very special guest, Matt Drury. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to uh, to chat whitetails with you and chat about Drury Outdoors and everything. And as we mentioned in the show intro, you know, you're the brand manager for Drury Outdoors and also the son of Terry Drury. And over the course of the next forty five minutes or so, you know, we were hoping to dive deep into you know what it was like growing up in that family, surrounded by successful whitetail hunters, and then also what it takes to you know create successful hunting videos and TV. But first, here on the Wired Hunt podcast, we like to kick things off with a curveball. And so I'm going to have to ask my sidekick, Dan, to step up to the mound and fire away with his crazy question of the day. Okay, Matt. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Matt, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so all three of us have spent a lot of time in a tree stand over a season, and sometimes nature calls. Okay. <laughs> now, are you a get-down-out-of-the-tree-stand type of person, or pee in a bottle or let her fly from the tree stand. <laughs> Where do you come up with this? Let her fly, let her fly from the tree stand, man. You know, a long time ago, uh, Mark and, and dad, you know, they used to be into, you know, can't let your scent get out and all that good stuff. And somewhere along the line, they, they decided that it really didn't matter. And, uh, they just, you know, started going right there from the side of the tree and, it hadn't affected their hunting one bit. You know, I figured, hey, if these guys are successful at it, well, I might as well follow suit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what about you, Dan? 
oh, you know, I'm too lazy to get down on a tree stand. So I got bad knees, so I let her fly. Yep, yep. I'm, <laughs> I'm right there with, with you guys too. Um, I, I remember I, I was convinced when I – there was a big study that Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine put out probably five years ago where they tested scrapes where they put – um, deer or deer urine. They put some other random odors. They put human urine and a few other things, and then they they recorded the trail cameras and other observations how deer reacted to it. And deer did not react negatively at all to human urine. So from that point on, I uh, I let her rip. So <laughs> yeah, that's you know I don't think it, it you know it's any different than any other animal you know relieving themselves in the outdoors. So uh, you know I don't think it affects them. Yeah. Well, it def- I'm glad that this is the case because back when I was a kid and I had to use a bottle, that was kind of a, a pain in the butt. So this is uh, this is the way to go. <laughs> right. I don't, I don't clean my truck out a lot. So I remember one hunting season, I peed in a bottle, <laughs> left my pack in the back of the truck. Oh, and no. Cleaned it out maybe three months later. Yeah, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> There's a story, and I may get in trouble for telling this. There's a story that goes back, well, this is a long time ago, Mark and Dad, when they actually, because, you know, for the longest time, they hunted together, right. and they, uh, they you know, they would film each other. And uh, so every other day was Hunter, you know, Mark may be the hunter one day, Terry the hunter, you know, the hunter the next day, and they'd switch off and on, you know, to be fair. And uh, one day, I think Mark threw down, you know, they'd always throw down their packs. They always had this, you know, like a, a fanny pack that have all their gear and, you know, all the calls and binoculars and all that stuff, you know, they'd have packed in their, you know, rattling antlers. And at the end of the hunt, you know, of course, when you go up, you got it on. At the end of the hunt, a lot of times, they'd just throw it down and, uh, you know, one less thing to climb down with. It's Apparently Mark had his pee bottle in it, and he threw it down, and it uh, it exploded everywhere. So <laughs> uh, he forgot he had it in there. So oh, geez, yeah, that's no good. <laughs> that's well, awesome. we better start talking about whitetails or something. Yeah, we always we always get off on a tangent here in the beginning. <laughs> but okay, so with that out of the way, you know, you you grew up in a family of you know. From the outside in, we'd look at it as a family of whitetail royalty. Um, you know, Terry Drury is your dad and Mark as your uncle. Um, it seems like you grew up with some interesting things happening around you and a lot of whitetail hunting. So I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about what it was, you know, what it was like growing up with Terry as your dad. Um, you know, what what was that like? And, you know, was there a lot of pressure to get into whitetail hunting or to do this all the time? You know, how did that go? Yeah, it was interesting because when I was growing up, we they were just starting the company. You know, I would have been, I think they started started filming in 88, and I was born in 81, so I was pretty young still. And, um, you know, before before they started doing it for a profession, uh, you know, they hunted at a local a local little club that was called the 40 Acre Club. You had to have a 40 acres, to, you know, to, to be a part of the club. And... Um, hmm. You know, so a lot of my youngest memories are from over at the 40 Acre Club, you know, and uh, going over there with Dad, and, you know, he'd, he'd always stop and say, hey, do you remember what field we're in now? What, you know, where are we at now? What's this field? Uh, this is Bruce's Cave. This is, you know, the old milk truck, blah, blah, blah. And so th- those are my youngest memories. And, you know, when they started filming and all that stuff, a lot of times I remember just being, just being with Dad when they were 
filming the interviews and, and, you know, kind of the spine takes and all that stuff that would go in between the hunts. I was just around because they filmed a lot of that there in Bloomsdale, Missouri at the 48th club. Okay. And as time evolved, they started hunting more, you know, I think, you know, started out, they were hunting turkeys is how we started. And, um, you know, so they would, they would hunt, you know, locally, but they would hunt down in the Ozarks a lot. And, you know, I really was never on their trips with them because I was just too young at the time. And, um, as I got a little older and they kind of coincided when they were starting to get into the, to the deer side of it, I think 93, they released their first title. I think it was monster bucks. Uh, it was before, you know, I think, uh, the first, they had monster bucks one and monster bucks two. And then I believe real tree uh, took it over from there. But, um, you know, at that time I started, I think they started hunting like Illinois, Iowa, you know, started knocking on doors. And this was before all that stuff was really, you know, very big in the early 90s was kind of the beginning of the industry. You know, late 80s, early 90s was really the beginning of our industry. Right. You know, it's not a very old industry. So uh, growing up, honestly, dad would be gone a lot. I, I, I mean, he was just gone a lot during the hunting season. So when he was home, you know, I got my hunter's safety course done and all that good stuff. And I can't remember how old I was when I started hunting, but it couldn't have been, it might have been well, whatever the legal age, you know, in Missouri at the time. And maybe it was, you know, I don't know, 11, 12. I, I really can't remember how old I was, but uh, we'd hunt behind the house. You know, dad and mom owned 24 acres there. And, you know, I had bugged him so often to, to build like a tree house in the backyard, you know. And so what he did is he actually... And he comes from a construction background. That's what he does today still. He's, he's okay. got a degree in civil engineering, and he has a construction company. So we went back there, and he we started building a, a treehouse. Well, really, it was technically probably our first box blind. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and he built it just far enough in the woods where he cut out he cut out a hole. It was funny because it had three walls to it. And there was an open end. Well, I always got stuck sitting on that open end where the air would whip through. And he always, you know, he always tucked back in the corner of the three, you know, the three walls. And uh, he cut himself out a hole that was just big enough to put his binoculars in and see up at the house and see if mom was making us breakfast or not. <laughs> and, you know, this was before cell phones and stuff. So, you know, it was the, the binoculars told us, okay, she's, she's making breakfast, let's get down. And, you know, and back in those days, there wasn't, in our hometown, there just wasn't a lot of deer. And I think they had got hit with blue tongue in the 80s or something like that. And um, they just didn't have a big deer population. So we saw a deer, two deer, three deer, that was a big day, you know. So we'd sit out there and, and we'd have a good time. And it was more about, really, it was honestly more about making the memories together because, we'd get out and go get breakfast early, you know, it'd be like 7 a.m. It's like, hi, hey, let's get down, you know, what? we weren't hunting too hard. Um, and it, it was a little, it was a little while till I actually started going on trips with them and, um, you know, getting to hunt at other places. So it, it took a long time till I actually killed my first year. I think I was 15 years old. I had hunted for like five or six years, you know, until I killed my first year. So, not for lack of trying, once we started going on those trips out of town, 
we, we just never had, it was weird. We just never had any luck. It was always mishaps. It was the camera always saved the deer's life and getting back to your question about if there was ever any pressure, you know, the camera, it was a weird thing because I still to this day have never hunted without a camera guy with me. And of course, wow. when I was growing up, it, dad was the camera guy growing up, you know, and they were trying to make a living and a business out of it. So you didn't do anything as it pertained to hunting, you didn't do anything that wasn't on camera. I mean, if we were sighting in a gun, if we were anything, it was, there was a camera present. And so, you know, at the time it was, it was tough. That was tough growing up kind of with those expectations. And, you know, as a kid and you're going through pre puberty and all that stuff, it's last thing you want to do is have a camera stuck in your face. And, you know, we see it to this, we see it to this day. A lot of the guys on our team, when they film their kids, there's not many of them that are very comfortable on camera. And I just, it always takes me back because I know exactly the feeling. And, I, you know, I, I just, it was tough go, going, uh, you know, hunting in that environment because I knew, you know, there was kind of an obligation there. I didn't really know any different. I, I didn't know what, I still don't know what hunting is like by myself. I just have never done it because it, you know, at the end of the day, it would never serve the purpose for me to just go out and hunt alone. You know, that's, that's, not what we're here to do, you know. I right. so it, it's weird growing up like that. I have two two kind of unique views on what hunting and hunting heritage is. You know, I think your average guy would be like, man, that would I would not want to grow up like that. I like the serenity of the outdoors and to be by myself, and that's kind of how I center myself. But you know, I look at it as if you know when I go out there, even to this day, you know, Dad and I will hunt occasionally together. I'm always at his place, but you know, usually he's got a camera guy and I got a camera guy and, and we're in different sets, but I like, I like going with another guy. It's, it's fun. It, you know, you get a cut up, you know, when you hunt as much as we do, it can get so slow. And, you know, there's a lot of times where you're just grinding it out and, you, you know, having another guy there with you in the tree, kind of freshens it up and, it, you know, it's somebody to talk to and you're BSing and, you know, it's kind of like being back at camp when you got a bunch of guys, well, that's kind of the same mentality. It's, you know, you're talking, you're talking about stuff guys talk about, you know, you're having a good time. So it kind of keeps things moving throughout the day and uh, you need that. So oh, yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, there's a, it was, it was good to grow, grow up that way. I learned a lot about the business and didn't even know it, but it also probably skewed the way I view uh, hunting a little bit, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. But to your point about, you know, there being some fun having someone else in the tree. I started hunting, you know, with my dad and then moved on to hunting by myself. And then, you know, when I've come back to the point now where, where I've experienced now hunting with a cameraman, there's definitely pros and cons to both that I found for me, but there's a lot of, a lot of fun, you know, having someone else in the tree, you can share that experience with you and talk about it and reminisce on it. And, um, you know, I've also found it to be a lot of fun switching roles and, and just being the cameraman. Um, that's oh, yeah. a lot more fun oh, yeah. than I thought. Yeah. I've, uh, yeah, that's well, and that's how I started here at Drury Outdoors. I mean, I got a, I went to college and got a degree in production, and not, and honestly, not with the intentions of working for these guys. I just, you know, it's kind of what I, I went to college and started with a graph, you know, kind of in the graphic design field, and you know, kind of started feeling out what I like to do, and I was best at production, and I didn't realize it, but they, Dad had pretty much set me on my path <laughs> from an early age. And I didn't know it. And, and, you know, when I was in college, I started interning for them, 
you know, during spring break, winter break, summer break, and, um, you know, learned a lot here at the, at the studio, I'd get back to school and I'd be, you know, I'd be steps ahead of the guys in class just because I was doing it in the real world, you know, so to speak. So it really set me towards my path in life. And when I, when Mark, he offered me a job my last semester, I came home for, for a break and was working for him and he had offered me a position and, uh, with modest pay and, uh, I started editing for them, but I also started going on trips with Mark and whoever and filming, you know, filming as well. I was a camera guy. So I, I learned a lot. You know, I, I, there really isn't any facet of our company that I haven't done in one, one way or the other at some point. And I've been here 10 years, you know, since I graduated college. So. Wow. Yeah, sounds like uh, some interesting experiences for sure. So. So taking a quick step back, you mentioned um, a little bit about the spots you were hunting when you were growing up. And I'm always, you know, I think people are always interested to hear a little bit more about the setup. You know, we see the DVDs and the TV shows and we see a lot of great deer that you guys are killing. But I'm curious, you know, what what is the, the farm setup? Is this land that all the, the, you know, your uncle and your dad own that they're hunting um, or are these leases um, or do they, do they hunt anywhere by permission? You know, what's the kind of setup there between, I think it's Missouri and Iowa where you guys seem to hunt the most. In Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. Those three States are the primary States, you know, originally, initially it was all leases. It was all knocking on doors. It was helping farmers out, you know, and this is, I'm talking in, you know, throughout the whole nineties. Mm-hmm. And what would happen is they started losing leases and started losing their position uh, uh, spots to guys coming in and, and leasing them and and basically buying out the lease for more money. And, um, you know, after you cultivated a spot, you know, everybody can relate to this for the most part. After you cultivated a spot of your own for a year or two and then you lose the lease, it, it, it starts you know, kind of getting to you. So they, they really identified their, you know, probably in the, I'd say it's probably mid to late nineties. They, they needed to find a spot of their own. And I believe, I believe dad was the first to purchase a farm. I believe he purchased a place over in Pike County and, um, you know, something they can control. I think it was maybe a couple hundred acres and it was their first piece of property and, you know, they hunted there for a long time in Pike. And, um, you know, at that time, I think, you know, and they could speak to this way better than I can because you know, I was still pretty young. But I think it got to a point where it was getting, like, so many outfitters and, and Pike County became such a hot spot that they almost, it was, they were feeling a lot of pressures on their fence lines, uh, from trespassers, or everything you could think of. And it's, like I said, stuff that everybody deals with. Yeah. And, uh, I think at some point there, somewhere around the late nineties, I think Mark bought his first, bought and moved to Iowa. I, I don't know. It might've been 97, 98, somewhere in there and, uh, bought his first farm and moved to Iowa. And, uh, I think that's, that's what changed a lot for, for those guys. Uh, I think dad sold his place like tooth in Illinois, somewhere around like 2000, Ooh, 2003, 2004, and he bought a bigger chunk there in, in Missouri, in North Missouri, near Kirksville. And, you know, I think the misconception out there is we only started on television in, around 2003. So people saw it from that point on, and they're like, oh, these guys got their own farms, and they do, you know, they don't do it like the average Joe, but it stemmed from them doing it 
like everybody else out there, and and as a you know, since this is a business to us as well, you know, they they got smart about it. They're like, we got to get our own spot, and we got to be able to control our own chunk chunk of ground if we're going to be successful in this and try to manage our properties. And you know, when you're trying to do it consistently, like they've done it for so long, you you know, you want to manage it the way you want to manage it, and so they've worked very hard to get to the point they are today, but it did not start that way. You know, they, they started out knocking on doors and, and getting leases and people buying leases out from underneath them. And, you know, just like your, your, your average guy out there deals with today. So, you know, at this point, we, this is our 25th year in the business. And, um, I think they've just, they've gotten to a point where they know what ground looks good. They, they've been lucky. And, you know, in the fact that they bought some pieces and been able to sell them and get a really good return on their investment and help them buy bigger pieces. But I think that's your basic American dream out there is start small and, and, and keep buying a little bit bigger spot and sell your, you know, and, right. and you know, get to where you want to be. So um, that's where they're at today. You're, you know, the farms they own, you know, we do have a couple leases, but um, the majority of the property they're hunting are places that they own. Some big, some small. You know, Dad's got 60 acres in uh, in Illinois, and uh, that's all we got there. We've leased some ground here in the last few years, but we got 60, 60 acres there. And every year we take a good, you know, a good quality mature buck off of it. And um, you know, I think that's what everybody's looking to do. Yeah, that's awesome. You gotta you gotta start somewhere. So it's interesting to hear though about that transition where you, you know where they started from to where they are now and and uh, you know now we're seeing you know your family reaping the benefits of that whole process. So it's cool to see. Yeah, yeah, I can't take any you know any anything you know out of that. You know, I'm very lucky and I I understand that. I and I think Taylor does too with, with Mark. I mean, we're we're lucky in the fact that they've worked so hard and 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 done so well up to this point. That we we do get to hunt their spots and you know and I I don't take it for granted one bit and you know I heck I, you know I'm still learning as I go I'm still learning a lot as I go actually every year it's I you know I'm screwing up hunts and you know and figuring it out and trying to figure out all the stuff that they learned 20 years ago I'm I'm just not learning so uh, you know it, it, we're lucky in the spots that we get to hunt but we're still learning how to hunt like everybody else definitely definitely. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code 
Meat Eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. All right, I got a quick question for you, Matt. I'm going to switch it up just a little bit. Um, as far as killing or your harvest success every year, have there ever been a year where, I mean, obviously a guy watches the shows or he watches the DVDs and he's seeing giant bucks hit, hit the ground. Have you guys sure. ever had a bad year or, uh, you know, Oh my gosh, it's late season. You know, the deer aren't moving. Uh, nobody's killed. You know, I understand you guys have a, a big empire with, you know, several hunters, lots and lots sure. of hunters hunting for you guys, but you know, we'll stick with, uh, Mark and Terry, have they ever been in a situation where it's like, man, I haven't killed yet? Yeah, I think I think last year was our toughest season as a company in a long time. I mean, I think that if you're looking at a bell curve, I think 2008 was probably 2008, 2007, somewhere in there. Those were our best years as, as a company. And then, you know, the last two years, we, you know, we as, as everybody has, or a lot of people, I should say, you know, EHD has been really, really tough on the farms in the last few years. So last year was probably our toughest. Now, dad, he's, I think his record something like going 60 and he hunts, they hunt every day. So that's the part, you know, it's a job for them. So they they are hunting every day once the season starts. And I think dad went 60 or 61 days one year before he killed his first, you know, and, and of course they're passing some deer, you know, three-year-old, two-year-old type deer, and they're looking for that four or five-year-old or older deer. So it's, you know, it's you kind of take it with a grain of salt when you hear that because they've had opportunities, but sure. to manage the places that they're managing, they're, you know, they're managing for the upper. It's not necessarily about rack. It's, it's more about age class. And so dad went like 60-something days. Well, this last year, I think he went 58 days So he, until he killed his first deer. And I think it ended up, it was like, you know, a, probably a four or five year old deer that was maybe in the mid thirties, one thirties, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it, it was a grind this year. Mark, he, he came out of the gate pretty, pretty hot in October, early on in October, he killed a gross boon yeah. uh, on his place in Iowa. But after that, I think it, it started grinding a little bit for him and, and, um, you know, last year as a whole, as a team, it was our toughest year in a long, long time. Uh, but, but by and large, you know, we still had some success and, and we're still fortunate. Interesting. Yeah. I, um, you know, 
just my opinion, but maybe it was a blessing in, in disguise for you guys last year because I think, you know, even though maybe there weren't quite as many kills in the past, I thought you guys had some of the best storylines and, uh, you know, stuff that, that kind of led into those kills than maybe any other year that I've seen in your DVDs. So I, I really enjoyed them this year. Yeah, it's probably a double-edged sword, really. I mean, when you have a lot of, of, of kills, you, you know, you want to put a lot of content on the DVDs. And when, you know, when you're when you're not having as many as a company, I think it forces you. We always produce really good storylines, but what happens is in the edit process, a lot of times we shorten or cut a lot of stuff out because you're trying to add more kills. You know, it's, it's a weird thing because it's like, well, what does a viewer want? Does he want... You know, and some of our competitors out there might put 30 kills on a, on a DVD. But, you know, we've also heard from, you know, our fan base that they don't necessarily like that because they want to get involved in the storyline. How did you, you know, where, where did you hang? Why did you hang there? What did you plant there? What, you know, the information behind it. And that's kind of always been the key to, I think, Mark and Dad's success is they've, it's not some secret, they've tried helping the viewer and kind of teaching you know, our successes and our mistakes, you know, our failures, they let it all out there. And I think in a slow year, you could probably let the storylines breathe a little bit more and you can kind of dive into them a little bit more than in a year where you kill, you know, say you kill, you, you want to put 20 kills on a DVD and you're trying to get through them a little bit quicker. So it's interesting in a slow year, you might expand your storylines a little better. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed I, that. I think from a I think from a business standpoint too, as far as the industry is concerned, I think there is a transition that has either happened or is in the process of happening to where the the people or or the quote unquote fan base is not as interested in a majority of kills anymore because I'm seeing a lot of that change going to a storyline instead of just hey, I'm here. Here comes a buck. Shoot it. Trophy picture. So I'm seeing. Well, I'm absolutely. Seeing Think about it. Think, you know, if you turn on, there's what, three, more or less three major networks you can turn on at any given time and more or less probably see like a 150 inch deer hit the dirt. And so what, what separates the men from the boys yep. as far as content goes? What separates it is storylines. What separates it is guys who do it themselves for the most part. You know, what separates it is, uh, you know, sweat equity, showing that you are, you know, yes, we may be hunting more, you know, bigger tracks of land or premier places, but at the end of the day, they're still showcasing tips and tactics on how you at home can also you know, take your 40 acres, take your 80 acres, 120 acres, whatever it may be, your lease, and do small things, you know, relatively, relative to what your track of land is, and improve it. And at the end of the day, I think Mark and Dad, and we got this from Bobby Cole, this term, but they're gamekeepers, you know, they're managing their overall habitat. They're all, you know, they're planting trees, they're, you know, planting the right food, they're, you know, doing timber cuts if they need to you know, improve the, you know, the forest floor. It's just, there's a lot that you can do. And I think that's the kind of stuff that a producer needs to dive in to be successful. You know, I don't, I think you're exactly right. I don't think your average viewer anymore just wants to see a bunch of kills. I think they want to see how you killed it. You know, like what'd you do to be successful there so they can, you know, take something and use it on their own 
piece of land. So that's what we try to do, and hopefully that's what people take away. Yeah, for sure. That's a perfect segue for, for the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, you know, obviously your dad, Mark, and the whole team have had a lot of success over the years, and you've t- touched on a few of the things, but I'm curious, you know, if you had to pick maybe one thing, what do you think is the the biggest key to their success, you know, killing mature deer? You know, it's a, it's a, that's a, that's a good question. From my perspective, from where I sit and how I see them work day in and day out, it's their uncanny business decisions that help them be successful in, in anything they do. Honestly, it's really, it's really a pleasure to get to watch them from the business side of it. Cause Mark and dad, believe me, they are two completely different people <laughs> But between the two of them. I mean, it's yin and yang. It's, it's really interesting, but between the two of them, there's nothing that they don't think of very little. And I'm not trying to be like, you know, like braggadocious about it. It's just interesting to watch them. If one guy has an opinion about something as it pertains to the farms or, or, or a tree or a funnel or this deer sign or whatever the case may be, they're very, in their own unique ways, they always get to the same end goal, basically. I think Mark, his most, his most successful attribute is his aggressiveness. He's much more aggressive than dad is. I mean, he, if he has a deer in his sights, he scouts it. He, I mean, he's just the mad, we call him the mad scientist at, at figuring a way you know, to get on that deer. And I think that's his most successful attribute. But as a whole, I'd say their business prowess. It's it's really interesting to see them work uh, and come to the same general end result in much different ways. Yeah, it definitely seems like they're um, maybe analytical in how they approach the hunt and how they break everything down and process things and make you know, strategic decisions. Um and something you said there, I'd like to dive into it a little bit more. Could you tell us a little bit more about, you know, in what ways Mark is, uh, you know, maybe better in certain ways? It sounds like he's aggressive, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about how Mark is different and then how your dad, you know, what's there, um, what's Terry's pros, what's his cons versus versus his brother? What's that look like? Well, I think Terry's pros is he will sit and he will wait something out. I mean, I think it's a stubborn quality more than anything. And, you know, like that 60, me saying you hunted 60 days and this year 58 days, it seems like that's every year for him. I mean, sometimes he'll hit, you know, he'll get kill one right out of the gate, but it's few and far between. And he's hunting a much different piece than Mark is. And it's, it's different deer on different dirt, you know. And it's interesting because dad's patience, and I call it stubbornness, but it's really patience. <laughs> he'll sit in a stand all day and not think twice. And he will literally stand up the entire day. You know, he, he, he'll wear a camera guy out every year. He just, <laughs> it's, it's a grinder mentality. And I think that's his biggest pro. And, and that grinder mentality, he will always get the job done. Mark's biggest pro is definitely his aggressiveness. They're both very analytical in different ways, but they're both very analytical. I think, you know, Mark will take something like 500,000 trail cam picks, you know, between all the places he hunts. And I think that'll take something like 300,000 Reconyx picks. It's, it's really, they go to bed at night looking at their Reconyx pictures every night. Like if, like if you go to their place to hunt with them, you know, and, and you're at their house or whatever, it's so boring. 
because they're not talking. I mean, they're sitting on their laptop and they're literally looking at pictures every night. So, you know, Mark, you know, he'll can a deer a couple of years ago. And I mean, he had hung this thing for several years. I mean, he's, he's going as far as he's got his topo map out and he's, he's mapping exactly where his reconics pictures were dating back years, years and years and what times and what the winds were and what the moon phase was. I mean, they, they really dive into it to a whole nother level. And I think that's what differentiates guys like them and Jay Gregory and the Kiskies of the world. Lee Lukoski is certainly is one of those guys. Like they take it to almost an obsessive level and they, you know, I think guys knock them a lot of times and say, oh, they've all, you know, they kill big deer. They, if I hunted those places, I could too. I don't think that's the case. I think it's because the mentality they take into the hunt is why they kill those deer. I mean, just because you have one pattern doesn't mean it's going to walk in front of you. And especially when you've got two guys in the stand with you, it, there's a lot of things, a lot of variables that go wrong. There's a lot that have to go right to be successful on a hunt. So I think I think that persistence, you know, is, is really a key for them. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to hear. I, I got one more Mark versus Terry question, and then we'll move on. Um, what about this situation? Let's say you're being dropped off on a random piece of private ground somewhere in the Midwest. Let's say it's 150 acres. You're there for seven days, and you're told, all right, you need to learn this property and hunt it for seven days, and your goal is to kill a mature deer. And you get to either have your dad or your Uncle Mark join you as your advisor, but you can only have one or the other. Who are you going to pick to help you with that seven-day mission? It'd be Mark because of his aggressiveness. You know, it might take Dad 27 days. It'd take Mark seven days. You know, (laughs) it's just, it's, they both get the job done. You know what I mean? But it's a different way to get the job done and so if i had seven days i'd pick mark and 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 i think dad would pick mark in seven days you know what i mean it's just, <laughs> it's he's really really aggressive he i mean he they both have a really uncanny eye to go look at a piece of ground look at a map and say well here's where the funnel is here's where the deer are moving and, and go in and hang and, and, and hunt the same day I mean, they don't do it as much anymore because their property, you know, they spend all year manicuring these things and, and, and all the off season looking at where to hang. But if you have seven days, you know, I, I'd say probably Mark. And they both could get it done, but I'd say Mark is your better bet. Okay, okay, makes sense. So speaking of their properties and the, and the work they do there, you know, given the, you know, how everybody was hit so hard with EHG over the past couple of years, you know, how are you guys adapting your strategies on these properties or, you know, how you're managing them, you know, to, to account for that impact on the population? Well, I think Mark got hit a little harder than dad's place did. And he got hit two years in a row. I mean, Mark, Mark estimates in some cases he lost 70, 80% of his upper end, you know, buck bucks out of his population. That's, that's pretty devastating. I mean, yeah, you had that thing, you know, it was, it was a well-oiled machine. And, uh, you know, there, it was almost sickening how many big deer he had there. And it was really sickening to see how many they found dead. Jeez. And, you know, I heard him say something the other day I thought was interesting because, you know, you, they still go in and manage. So your, your, if your main goal is to have a balanced deer herd, you know, one to one or even a one to two buck to doe ratio, it's, it's a hard mentality to, 
to put in your head, okay, I need to go in and manage my does when you know you lost so many deer. But what happened at Mark's place, and I think what happened to a lot of people with EHD, it hit more of the bucks than it did the does. So now where he had more, kind of a balanced herd, it's kind of really out of whack now. So, you know, there's a lot of does on it. I think I think some people would probably struggle. Who, who knows if they're right or wrong? This is to each their own kind of thing. But in their mind, they have some management management of the does to do to kind of get the balance back in the herd. Because, you know, if you start getting more does than you do bucks, then you have issues with your rut. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that there's kind of a waterfall effect that happens. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, so I think, you know, they're, they're trying to make sure their habitat's good. They're planting a lot of food. I know in Missouri there, uh, on their Missouri places, they're feeding uh, a new product that, that we teamed up with this year, a supplement product called Analogics Outdoors. And these guys, it's really, it's a really cool story to tell. And I think you're going to start hearing more and more about it coming this, you know, the next few weeks once the shows start airing, you'll see commercials for these guys. But they come from a background, really interesting. They come from a background of like cattle, like, you know, poultry, pork, beef, that those industries, they're veterinarians, they're scientists, they're biologists, and they, they come up with, you know, immunizations or whatever if there's a disease that crops up in in some of those industries they basically come up with the cures for them and they're hunters a lot of these guys are hunters the owners and, and a lot of the guys that work there are hunters so they they got hit with the hd as well and so they started just from their own standpoint trying to figure out a, it's not really a cure and you're not going to cure hd but it's like a total herd health kind of management so it's it's trying to make sure you have a healthy herd and so they got this you know it's they call it their special sauce or whatever this special uh thing that they've created and they've done it in supplement farm they've done it in like concentrated farm and we started using the product here in the off season and we're gonna see what it does we're 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 really excited about it we sat through the meetings and and heard the biologists talk about it and the, the science behind it. And so we're, we're feeding our herds, you know, in the States where it's legal, we're, we're putting that stuff out right now. And, um, we're, we're really trying to make our deer more, more healthy. It's almost like giving them vitamins, you know, and it's a supplement. And, uh, so, so right now we're doing that kind of stuff. We're planting the food plots, you know, planting the corn, the beans, all the stuff we always do, but, you know, we're trying to do it to the next level and make sure we get these deer, uh, get their health up. Because I think that's the biggest, the biggest is, issue. The, the deer that did survive the HD, if it was in your area, their health may be diminished as well. And then we have the really harsh winter, and, and that hurts them. You know, so that it's like they're going into this spring, and they're already at a disadvantage. And if you're trying to manage your deer for, a, you know, you know, to optimize your, the racks, uh, you know, if you go beyond just overall herd health and you're trying to get to the point where you're optimizing rack growth, well, heck, you know, they're using up all of their strength to just build their body fats back up. So you're, you're have, you have to get through that as well. So I think everybody's, you know, trying to figure out how to, how to get their, 
steer back to that healthy point. But I think you're certainly, if you, you know, if you're feeding them supplements right now where you can in the states where it's legal, it, it certainly helps. Yeah, no, I think um, a lot of deer struggling coming off this winter. So anything you can do to help certainly uh, certainly is a good thing. So that uh, that said, I think I want to move on to, to talk a little bit about you know what it's like filming and producing shows and DVDs like this. But Dan, before we transition over that that side of things, is there anything else you want to cover? Now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating you know some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. Oh, boy. This is embarrassing because I just forgot my question. <laughs> this is a first, and I do apologize. Want us to come back to you? Yeah, just come back to me. All right. We can do that. <laughs> well, I'm an idiot. Well, Matt, uh, that said then, you know, if I'm right, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you guys produce four different TV shows and three or four DVDs a year. Is that right? That is correct. Four four TV shows on two different networks and uh, in a line of three DVDs uh, that we, we put out in the Cabela's of the world. Okay. So, you know, from your side of things, and I think, you know, you, like you mentioned, you've done some editing, you've done some filming. I think you do a lot of the production now. Um, you know, what's the greatest challenge of making all of this work and, and come together? I think, I think the biggest challenge is to keep it unique. So when you have that many productions, you don't want it to seem like if you turn the channel and you, so you, you check out Natural Barn, you know, Winchester and Drury's Natural Barn over on Pursuit. And we have a cast of guys over there, and we have a certain kind of edit style for the, that show. 
And then if you switch it over to Outdoor Channel and you tune in to Bo Madness, okay, what's that? How's that show different from the others? So that's that's the biggest that's the biggest challenge. And then the next biggest challenge is to keep it fresh and unique every year because you can't, especially in our position, you can't sit back on your accolades. You got to keep innovating. You got to keep trying something new. You got to keep making sure your production levels at the top of your game. I mean, there's a lot of really good producers out there. You know, the Kiefer brothers uh, at Rustin Rooster, J- uh, Jason Brown. Yep. Those guys are phenomenal. You know, dropped. I love that show. And there's a lot of good shows out there. But, um, you know, to keep it fresh and to keep your content unique, that's a challenge. And you know, all the producers ultimately are trying to do that same thing. So if you think about it and you're constantly trying to one-up each other, it, t- it makes the production better as a whole, but uh, it's a challenge year in and year out. And when you have this many productions, especially to keep coming up with new stuff. So um, that's, that's the biggest challenge I'd say. To, to piggyback off Mark's uh, question real quick, you know, I, I would say that you guys have what some would call a dream job. Okay. Now, we get to see now for people who may not be in the industry i i guess i would consider myself um not in it but i'm familiar with it and i you know i know how much hours of filming go into a 30 minute show or a 2 hour dvd um but what is the crappiest part about your job what because everybody can uh, complain about something. What What's part of your job that you don't like? Uh, man, that's, that's tough. I, I enjoy a lot of aspects for sure. Um, I think one of the toughest parts would be probably cutting down a show. One of the crappiest parts is cutting down a show because really at the end of the day when you get all the plugs and get all, take care of all your sponsors and your partners – you know, there might be 14 to 16, 18 minutes tops of actual hunting content. Or, geez, I mean, if you think about it, so so we got a new show coming out uh, called 13. It comes out on the Outdoor Channel July 1st. The cast is comprised of Mark, Terry, myself, Taylor, and Jim Tomey and Gary LaBox. And say you get to, like, November, where all of us are out and hunting, and we broke the show down to different phases of the deer season. So you might have a phase that, say it's the Missouri, it's around the Missouri gun season. And the phase is like a week long. So you got an episode, one episode consists of, you know, six guys who are out there filming for a week straight and every day and, you know, cutting a lot of good stuff out. It might even be good encounters, but cutting it out because you know, we decided, hey, you know, say, say, Terry killed a deer, uh, you know, on day six, and you want to give it a good two segments worth of time on, on TV, well, you, you're going to cut out, you might cut out Jim, Taylor, and Matt, because, you know, what we encountered just wasn't as interesting as what Gary and Mark encountered. You know what I mean? I and mean, these are just yeah. examples. Right. It's, it's very, it gets very sticky on cutting shows down. And, and, Dream season, dream season is probably the worst of, of all of them. Thirteens, we're finding out, is, is, is pretty similar because there's so many guys in the cast. But dream season, man, you're, you might have 
300, 400 hours of footage for 13 episodes, and they're called half-hour episodes, but in reality, you might have 14 to 16 minutes of hunting. Think, wow. think of that. Think of how much you're cutting. <laughs> and and there's a lot of interesting stuff. I know the, the producers for us are, are jury team members, and even Mark and Terry, you get discouraged a little bit because you produce your butt off out in the field, and then you see the episode, and there's so much that gets cut out. And, you know, guys, you know, out there watching think, oh, you know, every time you turn around, the deer's coming in. Geez, you know, I wish it was that way because my wife would be a lot happier. I'd be home more, <laughs> you know, and it'd, it'd go quicker. But it really isn't the reality. I mean, they're they're just out there every day, nonstop. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, both me and Dan, given our, our work filming and, and on that end of things on a much smaller scale, we can definitely relate. Um, so speaking of your new show, 13, um, you know, could you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what's different about this show um, you know, why should folks be excited to be checking that out on the outdoor channel here soon? Yeah. Yeah. We're really pumped up about it. Uh, this past, uh, fall we started, uh, we teamed up with Under Armour and started hunting, uh, in all UA gear. So that was a switch, a big switch for us, as most people know. And, uh, with that, it, it gave us the ability to produce a new television show. So the show, you know, as we sat down and, and we looked at the landscape of television, we, you know, there's a lot of what we call filler out there. And it's, it's basically just shows that you kind of just turn on and you just, it's on and you're watching it, it's in the background or whatever. And you're not really learning anything. You're not taking anything away from it. I, you know, I don't know. It's kind of getting stale a little bit, the, the message that's getting sent out there from the producers so Mm -hmm. you know we looked and said how can we be different what can make even from our stuff what how can we make it different so we sat down it was mark uh terry and myself and i had a laptop there and we started you know brainstorming throwing out ideas throwing out stuff that we felt like uh in our previous tv shows stuff that we liked stuff that we didn't like uh, we identified a lot of stuff out of King of the Spring, which we produced a season of the Outdoor Channel that we really liked production-wise. You know, so it's like, okay, let's cherry-pick all the good things that we like. And, okay, how do you wrap that into this deer season? What do we do different about this deer season? You know, Mark and Terry hunt every day for four months. You know, what? how can we kind of package that up? So we just, they, they sat down and Mark and Terry kind of started saying, okay, the deer kind of have different phases in all reality. Like what's it take to produce 13 episodes of, of deer hunting? Well, in all reality, you know, the deer have a lot of different phases during the season that they go through. Things that light switch events that make them move, that shut them down, that, you know, whatever the case may be. Sure. So we just started listing them, literally sat there and I started typing out as they were talking and we started September 15th for us in Missouri, which is where we can start, you know, and, um, started September 15th and they said, well, you know, in the previous 40 years of hunting, 30 years of hunting, whatever the case may be between the two of them, here's what I've noticed happens. And, and it was really interesting. I should have rolled a camera during this process because it was so neat to listen to Mark and dad talk about it. And they were so on the same page. And one guy might be like, well, yeah, you know what? I also noticed that deer do this during this phase. And the other guy would be like, you know what? You know what? You're dead on. They definitely do that. And so we came up with a phase, you know, so we'd go come up with another phase and another phase. And 
by the time we got to the end of, you know, middle of January or whenever the season ends, Mark looked up at me and said, how many, how many phases did we come up with here? Uh, and so I, you know, I looked through, I started counting them. I was like, we came up with 13, believe it or not. So it was kind of a lucky thing <laughs> that idea landed into, we got a phase for every episode. And it, it wasn't designed that way. I mean, they literally just started talking about, they started, it was date-driven. Okay, September 15th through the 24th, the deer does this. The 25th through the, you know, October or whatever, the, the deer does this. And by the end of it, they came up with 13 phases. So in the show, we really dive into, and I say we, it's it's not Taylor, it's not me in this part, it's Mark and Terry. It's the guys that have lived and breathed it every single day for the last 25 years, and they hunted, you know, 15 to 20 years before that, it's their knowledge, you know, it's it's their mess-ups, it's, it's all that stuff, it's that information that really is priceless, and I'll, you know, I'd have to hunt four more decades before I could even be close to knowing what they know, and so it's that information that they're spitting out, but then the next part of it is, we broke it into four tactics of how to actually kill the deer during that phase. We don't always succeed, you know, as far as a cast member doesn't always succeed. It might be one of the Dury Outdoors team members that we kind of bring in or introduce one of their hunts. But, okay, you know, it's great. A deer is doing this during this phase. Well, how do I kill one? You know, how does that help me kill one? Well, we try to break it down even further and give you the how, you know, how to kill one. So, uh, it's it's pretty interesting in that fact. I don't know that you see that on TV very much. I don't know that you see producers really trying to teach a guy in every part of the season how to kill a deer. You know, it's just, I killed a deer. So I think from that standpoint, people will be able to learn a lot or take something away from it. You know, maybe learn something from something we messed up. You know, that's part of it too. Failures, misses that kind of stuff. So hunting the wrong, the wrong spot at the wrong time. I mean, they get into barometric pressure. They get in the moon phase, you know, uh, funnel sign, you know, food. They really, they really cover every aspect and, and then it's in an infotainment kind of way, information with entertainment mixed in. So I think from the, the entertainment side, we try to, you know, everybody always says, oh, man, Mother Nature killed me today. Mother Nature, you know, she really screwed up my hunt. You know, you hear people talk about Mother Nature constantly, and nobody's ever kind of brought that out in television. So from the entertainment side of it, I think that's what we try to do a little bit different. We're not, it, it's not a cheesy way. It's real light, but quote, unquote, Mother Nature, we we found a VO person that we felt like kind of in our mind, if you think about what mother nature would be sounding like, this is it, you know, this is the voice. We found what we felt like was a voice and she is kind of the voiceover, the narrator. So, so to speak, that kind of leads you through the season. And, you know, I, I so far from the stuff that we put out there, our, our trailer or teaser trailer, most guys have really been into it, really thought that it's a cool idea. Some guys thought that it might get a little cheesy. I think, you know, I think the litmus test is going to be once we see what everybody thinks of this season. But, um, you know, with anything we do, we don't, we're not trying to make it cheesy. I think there's a real fine line that you can cross. And I think we dialed it back enough to where it's not a big presence. It's just kind of a, 
to help you move along through the season. And, you know, we're referencing her, you know, in the stand and, and that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's not cheesy. It's just kind of a fun uh, way to package the show together. So I think people are going to get into it. And at the end of the day, I think people can learn a lot from our mistakes and our successes. Kind of like a, a Discovery Channel, Planet Earth, if you've ever seen that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That show is awesome, by the way. <laughs> it yeah, is. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it uh, it sounds really interesting. I'm excited to check it out, and uh, you know I can never get enough. I mean, of all the people on TV, like you said, there's a lot of good shows out there. Then there's a lot of filler shows, and some that I I don't know how they made it on TV. Um, but you know, I've always enjoyed the Drury Productions because I, I could just listen to Mark and your dad talk, um, you know, for for hours. They've just seemed to be a wealth of knowledge. They're interesting. And they obviously know what they're doing. And even though, you know, they're hunting different kinds of properties than I have in different situations, I always find something that I can learn from them and apply back to my own piece of ground um, and the own, the own, you know, how I hunt too. So I'm excited to hear more from them and see what 13 has in store. I think you'll like it. It, it uh, like I said, it starts airing on the outdoor channel, uh, July, the week of July 1st, I think July 1st is a Tuesday and it airs. And Wildlife Obsession's old time slot. Wildlife Obsession went away, and and this is taking its spot. So 9 p.m. Central uh, on Tuesday nights, and has a couple other you know other air times. But uh, set your DVRs. I think I think it's going to be something that people really can sink their teeth in and, and learn something. And like you said, even if it's just taking one small piece of information to to take back with you and implement in your own place, that's all we're trying to do. Mark and Terry. You know, they've said a thousand times, they're, they're not very funny, they're not pretty, you know, our, <laughs> we don't have a shtick. You know, what we have going for us is the fact that they've sat in a tree for every day, you know, for 25 years during the season. So, you, you know, you can't help but pick some stuff up and learn some things and see what the deer, you know, what their habits are and what they're doing. And, you know, because they're so analytical, I think they've just picked up a lot of stuff along the way. So by no means are we saying that we're the ultimate authority. And, you know, we realize that our stuff is very Midwest driven. So the guys in the South and, and the guys in the Northeast or in the West, it may not apply phase wise exactly to what we're doing, but I think you could still take something away and apply it to your own place. Oh yeah. I, uh, I think that's absolutely true. And I think, with that being the case, we're actually running up on time here. Um, that said, Dan, did you have anything else you wanted to, you wanted to ask Matt before we kind of wrap things up? I think uh, with with technology today um, and and the camera equipment that's available, that's all for you know it's it's pretty cheap. So people can tell their stories online or even put together a DVD if they want. What suggest, What suggestions or advice would you give someone who wants to start filming their hunts or, you know, maybe put together a blog or an online show or a DVD even? I think the biggest thing is to be authentic. You know, don't be fake. Don't, you don't have to wear face paint. You don't have to, if that's your thing, go for it. But you don't have to, you know, it, it doesn't, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I mean, you know, I, we're partnered with some great people, some great sponsors, but you know, if you're just starting out, you can start small. You don't have to dive right in and get everything, you know. You can start small and figure out what fits you, what's good for you, what equipment you like. Go to a 
local archery shop. And, you know, even by doing that, you know, local archery shops, a lot of times will push a product that they may be paid to push or, you know, do research. That's the beauty of technology. Back to what you were saying, technology, you can just about find out anything you want on any product by Googling it, by doing some review searches, you know, by looking at places like Wired to Hunt. There's all kinds of information on that website. So I think if I was a new hunter coming up and trying to figure out how to go about it, what to do, I'd, I'd, I'd go online, I'd find out as much info as I could, I'd, I'd watch some TV shows, that, and I'd be careful of what shows to watch. I'm not knocking anybody, but, you know, I, I think... As a producer, we always take it very seriously to try to show how to hunt the right way, how to hunt ethically, you know, respect your neighbors, respect nature, you know, quartering, uh, quartering away angles, broadside angles, don't take quartering two shots if you're, you know, hunting with archery equipment. It's just, it's just stuff like that. I think you got to be careful of who you're em- em- emulating, you know, so... It's, uh, that's, that's probably the best advice I can give. And you, like you said, you can do it pretty cheap, uh, get a GoPro, get a little HD palm camera and, and get a buddy and, and go out and film together. That's awesome. Yeah. I think uh, that's where a lot of people are starting. And like you said, it's amazing. The resources out there today, you can really learn a lot. And you know, if, if you have the dream and the passion to do something like that, you can do it. So you're absolutely right. You hit it, hit it well there because I think a misconception a lot of young kids nowadays, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm old, I'm 33, but a lot of, I get a lot of emails. I read every email that comes to our website. All the social media stuff, I read all of it. And a lot of guys think, a lot of young kids think, you just, we just started out and it was like this always. Well, Mark and Terry worked very, very hard to get to this point. So, you know, I think people see Lee and Tiffany and they see like, you know, Waddell and those guys and, think, well, then, you know, I can do that. Well, all those people worked really, really hard to get there. You know, a lot of these guys have been in the industry, the entire history of the industry, you know? So, right. uh, I, I, I think, you know, you gotta be careful and thinking that you can go out and want to be on TV and it happen tomorrow. You gotta work hard and you gotta have a little luck along the way, you know, you gotta meet the right people and, uh, be authentic. That's great advice. Awesome advice. Well, that being said, then, um, two things. Number one, we talked about something a little bit before we got in the air, Matt, and uh, we never got to touch on it yet, but I know you guys recently, in addition to putting out your new DVDs, I think you also have them available now for to stream on your, on your website, which I think is pretty cool. Can you tell us really quick a little bit more about that? Yeah, we're calling it Drury On Demand, D-O-D. And basic principle here is, you know, with technology – a lot of people, they're not buying DVDs anymore. They, they want it straight on their phone or their tablet or their computer. And uh, so we teamed up with a company called RLX Media. And they're actually our DVD duplicators. They have been for decades. And they came up with this technology. It's a secure technology. And basically, we've put it on our website. So what happens is you go to our website and you go to the jury on demand portion in our store and every DVD we've ever done in the last, you know, since we've been doing DVDs, not VHS, but since we've been doing DVDs, every DVD is available for download. You just go to the store, you click it, you purchase the download and you'll get an email from us 
uh, that comes to your inbox, and it you click a link, you go download this free RLX player, and what it does is it gives you three licenses. It gives you one for your smartphone, it gives you one for your tablet, and one for your computer. And the DVD you bought, it lives on the cloud. And so you can download, you can delete, you can re-download anytime you want. All you got to do is have a really good internet connection, but it allows you to download that straight to whatever device or all three if you wanted at any given time. You just got to have a good internet connection. And it's such a cool technology. I've been so impressed with the quality of it. You literally, it's got all the DVD features. It's got the functionality, the chapter menus, the bonus features, everything the DVD has all right there at the touch of your fingertips. So if you ever want to watch a DVD from your iPhone in a tree stand, if it's slow, <laughs> just pop in your headphones, you know, and uh, you can watch it now. It's, it's a very, very cool technology, and uh, we're going to start pushing it pretty heavy this year. I think people are really, really going to get into it. That's awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to check it out. I'm I'm heading out to Colorado here pretty soon. I've got a 19-hour drive, so I'm sure I'm going to pull up a DVD or two on my phone or iPad and, and have some enjoyment with that. So, very cool. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's just juryoutdoors.com, and uh, I, think, I think people are really going to enjoy it. Awesome. And so, also, if anyone wants to get more information about what you guys are doing, your TV shows, your DVDs, is that the same website that they should go to for more information? Yeah, absolutely. So if you go to www.druryoutdoors.com, all one word, I, you can hit our Facebook. You can get to Facebook. You can get to our Twitter. You can get to our Instagram, YouTube. Anything you, any info you want on Drury Outdoors, you can start at druryoutdoors.com and, and find it. It's it's really we just launched the new website about three weeks ago, and it's optimized for mobile or computer. It's it you can check out all the journal entries. So when our team's out there and they're killing deer or killing turkeys or whatever, all those kills go into our journal and you can follow along with the team and, and share, you know, your favorite hunt on Facebook or social media and, and let your friends see it. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Nice. All right. Well, we'll be sure to include that link in the show notes so that folks can click over to that and check everything out. And, you know, that said, Thanks so much, Matt. This has been really interesting, and I think uh, some interesting insight into the business and uh, you know how you and your family have, have been so successful. So this has been great. Thank you. Thank you, guys, for the opportunity. I really appreciate it, and keep doing what you're doing, man. I think the platform that you give, guys, like I said, not just in these podcasts, but the information that you put out in your blogs and, and whatever the links you know to this product or that product review, I think it's really helpful to the hunter out there and just keep, keep up the great work. Hey, I appreciate it. We will do that, and uh, let's be in touch soon. All right. Talk to you guys soon. All right. Thanks, Matt. All right. Bye-bye. All right. I thought that was a pretty cool conversation, and I hope you guys enjoyed it too. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here on the Wired Hunt podcast. So with that said, thank you so much to all of you that joined us here today. As always, if you enjoyed the show, we would definitely appreciate it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. And you know, if you do leave a review and happen to include a recommended random or crazy question for one of our future guests, we might just use it in the show. So there's that. Thank you in advance for taking the time to do that. Speaking of thanks, we'd also like to thank our excellent partners who help make this show possible. So big thanks to Sick Gear, Bushnell Optics, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Carbon Express Arrows, Lacrosse Boots, Big and J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America.
That said, be sure to visit wiredhunt.com slash episode 13 to view the show notes from today's episode. And that's where we'll have different links to things we talked about today. And if you're new, definitely head over to the website, wiredhunt.com, to sign up for our Whitetail Fix newsletter. And that's what's going to get you updates on what's new and interesting on the blog. So, thanks again, Wired Hunt Nation. Until next time, have an awesome week. Get outside, keep dreaming about those big whitetails, and stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.